0: Welcome to hey. another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. How are you
1: doing there? I'm good. I'm going to you know? wait.
0: I'm going to wait because I might not have the right to interrupt yet.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, I'm I'm Joe Patrice from mm. Above the Law.
2: Are you?
1: Yes. Is that who you are?
2: Yes. And you heard Chris Williams uh, also with us at Above the Law. And... Catherine's here, too.
1: <laughs> that is the worst introduction you've ever given me. I think I'm finally getting to you. I appreciate that. Okay. <laughs> Look, at we're at, like, less than one minute in, and he's already annoyed with me. Like, two points for me.
0: The sounds of a defeated man.
1: <laughs> if that's all it takes to defeat you, 2023 is going to be our... <laughs> Bitch. So that, that, brings us, that brings us to our section of the show
2: called Small
0: Talk.
1: I hate you. Where we if, have, if
0: there was a moment for this show to have a video, this would
1: be it.
2: <laughs> Yeah. So, uh yeah. Great. Uh, so, mm-hmm. where um, you
1: feeling good about yourself there, Joe?
2: I am. Mm. Uh, Yeah, so Mm. it's small talk time. Uh, Not too much has been happening with me. I'm a little frazzled, uh, very busy weekend doing, um, you know, the kind of legal research that you thought I wouldn't have to do anymore.
1: Yeah, I thought you were a retired lawyer. Yeah,
2: you would think, but no.
1: So Uh, what were you researching?
2: uh, Just uh, various stuff about tort liability for algorithms and stuff like that.
1: So light reading over the weekend. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, the fun stuff.
1: Good stuff. Good stuff. What about you? Uh, it's my birthday weekend. Oh? Woo! Yeah. Woo! Well, so, um, did some celebratory things. Had a cake. Got mm-hmm. a lot of gifts from family and friends. And so, you know, pretty good weekend was had. Oh, cool. All right. How about you, Chris? What'd you do?
0: I sent my baby to Cambodia. They're a Fulbright Scholar and... Huh. They're gonna be literally across the world from me, like we we looked on Google Maps and it was eighty eight hundred miles to the left and the right of their destination, so <laughs> very long distance and um they're gonna be there for i think like about a year um doing oh, wow. some work with the um Olympic Stadium they're turning it into a uh a park I think I feel like I should know. But it was, a, it was a cool weekend. It was a cool weekend. I got to send them off, eat some food, and, you know, talk shit as one does. Cool. cool, cool.
1: As one does.
2: Well, I think that, I mean, we don't really have anything else fun to say.
1: I mean, you're just waiting till I speak to hit the sound, so that's fine. I don't know what you're talking about. That's just ridiculous. Is it? That's small talk. You're the worst. (laughs) Not you, Chris. I'm talking to Joe.
0: I don't control these things. You absolutely do. You literally do. You literally do. It is literally your one job that you relish and enjoy.
1: You love that job.
2: So our first topic today, what do we we want to talk about first, Catherine?
1: Well, I was really jazzed about the little mermaid trailer.
2: We're going to talk about mermaids.
1: Well, yeah, I think that that's a, it was pretty big story for you last week, but for those who may have been living under some sort of a rock for the last week or so, Disney put out, uh, as part of the D23 convention, put out its first, it is true, I'm just providing accurate information.
2: Yeah, I I, I don't know as though those are necessary facts, but fine, go on.
1: The point remains as part of the D23 convention, they put out the first trailer, kind of a teaser trailer for their live action Little Mermaid, and Haley Bailey is in the lead role, and um, racists did racist.
2: Yeah. So a lot of folks are racisting over the idea that the Little Mermaid is black now, uh, up to and including people uh, trying to weirdly science explain why a mermaid, if it did exist, couldn't be black
1: never um, mind that they don't
0: yeah uh, they, they yeah we are still waiting on amy wax's legal take right. on the <laughs> little mermaid but there's but there has been an increase in maritime crime so we can expect her to mention something about that
1: right so, it's, yeah it's, it's all these people who couldn't be bothered yeah. with science when it came time for vaccines but now all of a sudden are using faux science in order to say there can't possibly be a black mermaid never mind that there are in fact Black fish, like super dark fish that live in the sea. But again, mermaids are also not real. So we're
0: allowed to do what we want. Shouts out to Amiri Baraka. He has a phenomenal poem. I think it's called uh, Black Ivory. The, it goes, there's a railroad of ocean. There's a railroad of human bones at the bottom of the Atlantic. Slavery, um, slavery is what I'm getting at. we got we got what you were getting at. Yeah, just to be clear, like if there would be a people that are mer people, it would probably be Africans because of the thousands of right. them whose bodies are lined the bot the ocean because of transatlantic slavery. That's what I was getting at. Right.
2: Well, so this is where this this gets legal. Uh, somebody posted that one of, from one, a tech board that one of the members of this board uh, who works in ai science had worked out a way to digitally replace the black actress with a quote he fixed the little mermaid and turned the woke actor into a ginger white girl then in the trailer at least and then the poster uh, who put this on twitter said that the Person claims that with some with like 20 grand worth of equipment, they'd be willing to do it for the entire movie when it comes out. So a lot of folks focused, I think, correctly on the fact that I guess we're just using the word woke as a synonym for black people now (laughs) because there's nothing else there. For it,
1: I mean, the story is still as unwoke as it ever was, right? A, right. a girl s- literally sells her voice in order to get a guy on land.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, the, the Little Mermaid is the just opposite of Absolutely terrible. <laughs> I
0: yeah. mean, the the woke take is actually the the context in which Little Mermaid was written, in which is about a, a gay man's. It was a metaphor for a gay man's unrequited love,
2: right? Although
1: Hans Christian Andersen style, although not Hans
2: Christian Andersen's version style. is. <laughs> does have some severe departures (laughs) from what the movie (laughs) that you're remembering was. It was a lot darker because, well,
1: Well, it's a lot darker now said. Oh, Oh, okay. Well, Hans Christian Andrews did not have a happy ending with the tale as much as Disney does.
2: So anyway, so they uh, so that that's how this gets legal. There are these people who are claiming that they can do this. Uh, My analysis on this is that Disney's not going to be cool with people marketing knockoff versions of their film.
1: Uh, Disney's the opposite of chill when it comes to copyright, by the way. Yeah. The opposite of chill.
2: <laughs> Which this would, of course, be.
0: The yep. fun thing I did find out about this woke-read-black backlash is that the original Ursula, you know, the one that all mm-hmm. the white folks remember? Based on Divine. Based on a drag queen.
1: Yeah, Divine.
0: Did not yeah. know that.
2: Some classic uh, John Waters-era mm-hmm. films. Yeah. But, um uh, yeah, that now we are dating ourselves there to <laughs> we remember. We immediately like that. of course, yeah. divine. Yeah, of course, John Waters <laughs> movies, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, they they're not really chill about this because obviously what we have here is a situation where you're creating a derivative work, uh but it is not something you have permission to do and it is
1: not parody.
2: Not a parody and it is there's no real argument that there's any fair use going on and Beyond the copyright issues, I would assume they would make the claim that there's a trademark dilution happening Mm -hmm. here. Uh, And this is something that's come up before, too. In the past, in particular, in these stories all come out of Utah, there have been multiple companies in Utah that have made Mormon-friendly versions of movies where they they went in and edited the movie (laughs) so that it could be – uh, have all the bad parts taken out, uh, and they tried to market those. And uh, the studios, Disney among many studios, have consistently Not
0: sued so those fast. people. Yeah. Wait, which 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 mormonified Disney film has the most soaking?
1: Oh, okay. I feel like the I feel like obviously.
0: I think. I was I was thinking the Seven Dwarves, but okay. Oh. <laughs> So,
1: oh, oh, oh. so I there think
0: go, there goes happy.
1: <laughs> oh, God. Make it I,
2: stop. I, I, I think <laughs> when I say Disney has pushed back on those, I think it, it's because Disney owns a lot of other studios and other productions
0: <laughs> that, you know, would, where
2: that would come in.
0: Uh, as opposed to Joe is so uh, uncomfortable right now. Yeah. I really wish everyone could see this. <laughs>
1: He's just like, let's just continue our legal conversation, please. I didn't I'm even just, get
2: to grumpy. <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking and easy. What can I do to get Ellie back? That's all I'm sitting here thinking.
1: Um but
0: Black yeah. erasure? No, no, no. Okay.
2: That, would,
1: that would be the option.
0: Anyway, um, you're
1: stuck with us, friend.
2: So yeah, so that's the legal takes going on when it comes to the Little Mermaid. Uh, obviously, one would hope that this uh, these people have been properly chastened by this conversation being on social media, but who knows? So keep an eye out for a future incidents where Disney has to sue some people. Anyway, Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high quality, customer ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code JOE at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you. I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades.
0: And I bet, gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Gee and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found.
2: All right, so.
1: So buttons on ice cream. There was a a, a kind of cold war of words between um, Chief Justice John Roberts and uh, Justice Elena Kagan over the past week or so. Both of them gave speeches at various locales saying, you know, giving kind of their two cents on the state of the court. I mean, Uh, what they
2: did, I think what they did was both both unveil new diss tracks about each other in in day after day after day. It seemed like there was a new one every day.
1: There, there were, there were a lot. Um, and I think Kagan spoke twice, Roberts once, but then lots of folks were kind of piling on giving their opinions. But basically I think that the tanking popularity and legitimacy of the Supreme court is weighing pretty heavily on John Roberts mind. Um, and you know, was very clear. Well, he said those words, um, screaming kind of into the void. We are legitimate about the Supreme court, despite, you know, the Dobbs nothing, decision.
2: No, yeah. Nothing says you're legitimate than ha- having to say, listen to me, I'm legitimate.
1: You know, that's exactly was my take of the original Roberts speech was like, you know, who never had to say that they were legitimate, someone who's legitimate.
0: We, <laughs> we get it. We get it. You have both read Lacan. <laughs>
1: A couple of days later, Elena Kagan made some comments saying that she does think that the court's legitimacy is in jeopardy uh, because of the Dobbs decision, because of overturning the precedent. Then a couple of days after that, she had a second speech at a different location where uh, she was asked kind of follow up questions. And she was basically like, listen, the court is uh, overstepping the instant controversies. They are not using any sort of You know, the sort of historical analysis that they're using in the majority decisions is rife with with problems and it does not adhere to any sort of judicial philosophy and all these other reasons why the court's illegitimate. And, you know, even Harvard Law professor Lawrence Tribe got involved since he actually was professors to both of them at Harvard Law, basically saying, Kagan's turned into a really wise justice.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cold. <laughs> uh,
1: he actually said, "You know, Roberts needs to sort of rethink uh, what what he's doing." And and I I mean, I don't really feel sorry for John Roberts because he's written terrible deci- other terrible decisions, but I think that sort of. How history will think about the Roberts Court is something that preoccupies him. I think that's why he wrote that sort of "Death of a Thousand Cuts" concurrence in Dobbs, and that's why, according to everything that we know about how the Do- in, the internal workings during the Dobbs negotiations happened, that he wanted somebody else to come onto his side because he didn't want the words written. Therefore, we overturn Roe v. Wade and KCV v. Planned Parenthood. He didn't want that written. He's very concerned, I think, about the long term legitimacy. Of the court, yes, but I think more specifically, well, you know, it's got his
2: name on it. Yeah. Like whether he yeah. likes it or not, that's how we forever
1: bear his name.
2: Yeah. That's how we refer to these courts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that means it's a, he owns it. For him, this has got to be a nightmare yeah. uh, that he's yeah. he's just going to be the name forever for a period of the court that is like really pushing levels of illegitimacy.
1: And listen, in terms of the institution as a whole, there are potentially ways for the court to come back, right? There's some awful decisions that have littered the history of the Supreme Court, and they've managed to get it back together. But with the current composition of the court and no real plans from anybody to address that, whether it be term limits, whether it be uh, adding more justices to the court or even, you know, the lower courts, there's no real concrete plan at this point for any of that to change. I, I don't see, I don't see the way out for the court.
2: Yeah. And for Robert specifically at that mm-hmm. point.
1: Yeah. I mean, unless he just kind of turns around and just starts writing, you know, dissents but i can't see that happening either that's not the repute that's not i mean we all saw his you know uh affordable care act decision which was you know the epitome of sort of splitting the baby mm. that's the kind of jurist he aspires to be and in this current moment i'm not sure that's even possible
2: yeah The the point is we've got Supreme Court justices using the off season to snipe at each other, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's true that Kagan, both of her speeches were some of the most kind of direct line by line responses <laughs> to the chief justice that I could have even imagined. So that kind of also shows you where the congeniality level well, of the court. It at. also
2: shows that she's reached the end of a rope, you know, because mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. while I view her as very smart and good in these issues, she has been over the last several years, made some decisions that I thought were a little doctrinally crazy, but the kind of the take from analysts outside has been, well, she's doing this to make, you know, to kind of paint them into a corner. You know, she agrees with this and puts this out there, and it means that if that if that's true, then they can't later do this, you know? and And what she learned is that everybody else already suspected was that when they ran into that barrier they were just gonna be hypocritical about mm-hmm. it uh, and yeah, you know, i think she's very irritated by that uh, but you know like the rest of us saw it all coming sure okay we're back what's the last thing on our agenda
1: uh, amy coney barrett has some thoughts on the first amendment
2: yep let's hear about those
0: I was really just using that as the clickbait. Doesn't really have anything to do with any Amy Cody Barrett at all.
2: <clears throat> but it has to do with the First Amendment, though.
0: It has to do with the First Amendment, though. That so, was the key. That was the key, uh, which was you know important, and we're going to talk about it now. So what happened was there was a there were a bunch of uh, Native American groups who were protesting, and there were pushbacks against their use of the right to protest. The right to protest, of course, being the one aspect of the First Amendment that Amy Coney Barrett forgot, that was just like a little little tidbit. Didn't really have anything to do with the story at hand. But this is part of a larger sweep. <laughs> Joe's shaking his head. It's part of a larger sweep of uh, constraints of the right to protest, which I think are related to the play of what counts as speech now. There's a recent, disor- there's a recent decision in the Fifth Circuit on Texas court where they were saying that corporations no longer have the right to censor what they say centering speech but the other but the second hand of that is it limits the capacity of corporations to speak on their own behalf right so there's these interesting things happening where it's like what can people say how are they regulating it another showing age thing what was this like around the time of bush when there were more instances on it being free speech zones do you see a do you see a correlation between how things were now and how things are back then no, I mean,
2: this is way worse.
0: Uh, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: because look, because the free speech zone thing was, well, it, I mean, people made fun of it and all, but it wasn't necessarily crazy. It was an attempt to create time, place and manner restrictions on protests. A lot of times it was, you know, it, when it was done In good faith, it was done as an effort to say, you know, it can get dangerous if a bunch of folks are doing it right in front of the entrance to something, so we're going to put them over here, yada, yada. Obviously, there were some more cynical actors who were putting folks a mile and a half away from everything. That was bad. But this is, especially when you deal with the Fifth Circuit conversation, I mean, we're now talking about an affirmative assault on the idea of speech just and you just lose that form of speech because you're big, I guess, uh, which seems problematic, uh, especially juxtaposed with a voting right, an election issue where uh, an election setting where the court says you can spend as much, mo- the more money you have means the more speech you have. This juxtaposition that larger tech companies, by virtue of becoming larger, lose their ability to have free speech rights and are now ripe for being vehicles for compelled speech. That seems deeply troubling,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I'm just imagining some, like some weird alternate scenario where there's a motivation where, uh, there's increased trust busting. So companies can be small enough to have free speech. Okay.
2: <laughs> Listen, if antitrust wants to, uh, ever get off its duff and start working, that would be great.
1: I mean, listen, President Biden has said more that is supportive of increased uh, antitrust enforcement than I think the last five, presidents combined well and
2: that's the thing the the there's every reason to believe that a lot's about to happen right like biden's spoken to it the folks who have gotten positions in the
1: lena khan and Khan and
2: having that job you know like that looks like there's about to be a bunch of antitrust decisions and then all i ever hear about is they're looking into the pga on behalf of the like sports washing effort that the Saudi government is doing, which is the lowest of all possible priorities. I certainly
1: agree with that. But the other thing is, listen, antitrust enfor- or investigations aren't particularly quick. They're very uh, fact intensive. There's a lot of information that has to be gathered. So hopefully that's that's what's going on. There's just a lot of information out there, but I remain hopeful that, uh, that there will be more antitrust enforcement. It just
2: seems to me as though, Yeah, I mean, uh, to to bring a claim uh, is a long and drawn-out process. It just seems to me as though the theory of the case is out there. uh, And you could be doing more to be getting some voluntary compliance, I would think, from some of these companies. But, I mean, especially because the the real problem are these entities where they're playing both sides of the market. You know, you get kind of the to use an example, the Amazon who is collecting your data on what you like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and then selling you things from third-party sellers, but simultaneously using that data to build their own product that then they will prioritize over those third-party sellers, right? Like, right, that's playing both both ends of the transaction in a way that seems problematic. Like, I think you can play one or the other.
1: Mm, I, yeah, that's fair.
2: Like, and those are the, those are the kinds of claims that I don't think require i mean if if they want to take you all the way to court obviously it's going to be a long drawn out process but i think you could probably say this is our position make some public demand letters for some information on it and maybe get some action if for no other reason then you're going to have shareholders who want to avoid a long drawn out out. battle yeah
1: yeah It's fine. It's, you know, you have a definite result then.
2: We've drifted into discussing antitrust here, but.
1: Well, we are a legal podcast, so that's not actually a bad thing. It's not. It's not. I think alphabetically, it's probably the first book in most law schools uh, course catalog. Admin. Oh,
2: probably. Okay. Admiralty.
1: Okay. I'm just saying it starts with an A.
2: Aardvark law.
1: Yeah. Aardvark (laughs)
2: law.
1: Well, there we go. Animal law. Okay, are, are we done now?
2: No, I don't think so.
1: I'm done. Uh, thank you so much for listening to today's show. <laughs>
2: oh, oh, you're gonna take over all these processes now?
1: <laughs> Only when you refuse to let them end.
2: I'm just trying to think of another another law class. It's not that, that easy.
1: <laughs>
2: so, uh, with all of that, I guess we are wrapping up. Thanks for listening. You should be. Um, listening, you know, you should be uh, subscribed to the podcast. Give it reviews; that all helps. You should be listening to other podcasts. Catherine's the host of the Jabot. I'm a guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You should listen to the other Legal Talk Network programs of. On you know that we aren't necessarily on. You should be reading above the law to see these stories and more before we chat about them. You should be following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. She clarifies the numeral it's one. The numeral one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris is at Rights for Rent. Uh, above the Law is at ATL Blog. Uh, you should be doing other things probably. I don't know what those are, though. I think that is everything.
1: That's probably everything. Okay, Peace. Cool. Bye.
2: Here your
0: taxes.